0: see if they need it, and turn to page 1185 in those Bibles if if you're looking for Titus chapter 3. Titus chapter 3 as we wrap up our series uh, in this wonderful book of Titus. Hear God's word for us this morning. Titus 3 says, remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities, to be obedient To be ready for every good work, to speak evil of no one, to avoid quarreling, to be gentle, to show perfect courtesy toward all people. For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, When I send Artemis and Tychicus to you, do your best to come to be in Nicopolis, for I have decided to spend the winter there. Do your best to speed Zenus the lawyer and Apollos on their way, see that they lack nothing, and let our people learn to devote themselves to good works, so as to help in cases of urgent need and not to be unfruitful. All who are with me send greetings to you. Greet those who love us in the faith. Grace be with you all. This is the word of the Lord. God. The grass withers and the flower, the flower fades, but God's word, including this, will, will never fade away. Uh, you may be seated, and let me pray for us. God, we thank you for your word. We thank you that your word is truth. We thank you that your word spoke to Titus and to his people, and that it speaks to us today, 2,000 years later. We thank you that it can cut us to the heart, And it can also be a balm to to salvage up our wounds. And so we pray that as your word is preached this morning, that we would be blessed and challenged uh, by it, that we'd be transformed, that we would love Jesus more after hearing. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, have you ever had to leave instructions for somebody, Um, whether you were maybe going out of town and so you had to leave instructions for the babysitter? Uh, and you had to write them down and, and, and post them on the fridge, uh, or you know maybe you were leaving a, a teaching job after some time and 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 had to leave instructions uh, either either for the long-term sub or, or maybe just your replacement. Um, it could be hard to to boil down what's important on those kind of lists, what to leave uh, for for what comes next. Uh, Amy and I, when we first had Rowan, we made such a list uh, when we first had people watch Rowan. And I believe it was nine pages, uh, <laughs> double-sided. Um, and so, because you want to make sure just the important things are on there, like here's her nap schedule that she never follows, and uh, <laughs> here's her favorite foods that she'll spit out. So, uh, so we filled in this list, um, and our family just kind of laughed, nodded along. Um, and uh, if we made the list now, it might look like a half page in big font saying "Keep her alive, <laughs> love her, <laughs> like lead her to Jesus." That would be our list, right? <laughs> well, over this last uh, couple months, as uh, this is, it's been a summer of lasts for me and for Amy. Uh, you know, a last Mexico with the students and leaders. Uh, we had a few last things over the summer. We got to hang out with the, our seniors, especially one night, and that was the last thing. And then this last week, we were, uh, had our last youth group, uh, and uh, we were at the Fairbanks House for middle school, at the Saladay's for, for high school, uh, and we were blessed by those times. Um, but I've been thinking about, at each one of those things, been thinking about what, what would I want to boil it down to? What do I want these students to remember moving forward, Right? Uh, they don't need a nine-page, double-sided list, right? They, they need to know what is important in this life. I think as we come to the book of Titus and as we finish with chapter 3, we have the privilege of looking over the shoulders of this leader named Titus as he is uh, trying to help lead these churches in this island of Crete, as these different churches are growing, some are struggling. Uh, the church at this time was in, in, in tough times in many ways, Paul is trying to impart to them, this is what's important to believe. This is what sound doctrine looks like. And then this is what it looks like for you to live for Jesus. And so we get to look over Titus' shoulders and hear Paul's and and therefore God's heart of what is really important. Uh, What do we need to take with us? If you look back with me to chapter one, Paul tips his hat right at the beginning. Verse one kind of tells us why he's writing. He says, Paul, a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ, for the sake of the faith of God's elect and their knowledge in the truth, which accords with godliness in hope of eternal life. So Paul is an apostle. He sees his role to to help the church to grow, and he specifically says he wants them to grow in their faith. Uh, He wants their knowledge of the truth to grow, um, but this accords with godliness, meaning he wants them to grow in their knowledge of the gospel, but that this would overflow into their lives, uh, into their good works. In other words, faith and action, theory and practice. Or it, even non-Christians, anyone would say, you have to walk the talk, right? These, these two are intimately linked, and it seems so obvious when we say it that you're supposed to learn it and teach it and also do it. Um, but do you realize that This is one of the main reasons why some people want nothing to do with the church, uh, because they they don't see that link. Uh, They see people either obsessed with the teaching, but they don't really care about how they live their lives, or they see people obsessed with even really good things, good works, but they don't really care about what the Bible says. And so some people are even turning away from the church because they see that link severed. But what if that link could be brought back together? Uh, what if what we believed about Jesus actually overflowed into our lives? What if we could grow in our knowledge of the gospel and proportionately grow in our practice of good works? I think if we did that, people would be drawn to the church because uh, they would see the church adorned with good works uh, and they would long to be a part of her. You know that family home when you were growing up that you loved to hang out at uh, because they had the best snacks? Um, and the mother or father just did such a good job of listening to you and asking about your life. Um, and when you told them about all the things you nerd out about, they just listened um, and, and, and got to know you. Um, and you. And so you wanted to be there all the time, all summer. I think the church could be like that house that people want to come to, that people want to be a part of. And, and I think it happens as we Adorn ourselves with good works. And so that's really the point of the message this morning. Be devoted to good works. Be devoted to good works. And this first plays out in our relationships with one another and with others. Paul repeats this command three times in the text, verse 1, verse 8, and verse 14. He tells the people to be devoted to good works. In other words, when when he sits down, he's finishing this letter to Titus. And he's saying, what do I want Titus to make sure that the people remember? One thing he says is remind them to be devoted to good works. And this word devoted means make a practice of them. Practice them diligently. Make them a habit. Not like a once a month, I did a good work. Um, Literally busy yourselves with good works is is what uh, the word means here. Uh, We're certainly busy people. But he says, busy yourselves with good works. Be full of them. But I want to stop right here, because what do you hear when, when you hear from the pulpit, be devoted to good works? Maybe you, what rings in your mind is uh, the Christians you know that are obsessed with behavioral modification, the do's and don'ts, and who maybe even judge others who don't sort of meet their standard of good works. You know, legalism is a term we throw around. We have to define what we mean, but maybe that's what's buzzing in your mind as we hear, hey, be devoted to good works. Uh, You might say, wait a minute, aren't we saved by grace? We are, verse 5 will tell us. And so what does Paul have in mind here? When you hear good works, are you feeling personally weighed down and burdened and you're saying, please, don't give me another list of things to fail at. I could already give you a bigger list than what Paul gives here, right? Is that what Paul's getting at? Is he just burdening us down with works that we're going to feel guilty about? I don't think he is. We know elsewhere from scripture that God created us, Jesus created us for good works, and he actually prepared good works for us to do before we were ever made, right? Have you ever had a job that you actually care about? It makes a big difference in how you approach it, right? You know, a job that's tough or that you you don't care as much about, like the the work can just feel like burden upon burden, you know, like this job has been. Just kidding. Uh, No, this job has been a blessing for me, and there's tough seasons, but when there's a job that actually you feel like you're called to and God is using you in, then even some of those long weeks don't feel like long weeks, right? Uh, You feel like, I just need to do this because I, I want students to know Jesus, and so I'll do this, right? It doesn't feel like another list to fail, and I think that's what Paul's getting at, not burdensome, but, but joyful work. So how does this specifically play out? Verses 1 and 2, he starts by uh, showing us how this plays out in our relationship. So look with me in verses 1 and 2. He says, Remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good work, to speak evil of no one, to avoid quarreling, to be gentle, and to show perfect courtesy toward all people. This first section here could be summarized by him saying, treat outsiders well, church. Treat those who are not part of the Christian community. Treat them well. Don't judge them. Uh, Don't be judgmental toward them. Don't um, make them feel like they have to shape up before they show up to your church. Um, Don't make them feel like they don't have access to the same Jesus that you have access to if only they put their faith in him. And so specifically, he says, be submissive to rulers and authorities. And that's like our favorite thing to do, so we don't even need to talk about it, right? Um, In other words, in their context, this meant to be submissive to the very government that would soon be killing them, right? Paul would die under Rome, and he's saying, be submissive to your rulers and authorities. It doesn't mean condone everything they do. It doesn't mean not to pray for, for justice, even despite our leaders. It doesn't mean to stand up for truth. But it does mean to be submissive, to be obedient, to be good citizens, le- leading a quiet life. So that people would look upon us and say, wow, even though I know they disagree uh, with said leader, they're, they're respectful and they pray for this leader. And so be submissive to our leaders. He says, be ready for every good work. And then it it, it gets harder. He says, speak evil of no one, meaning don't slander anyone, don't malign, don't insult, don't curse other people. And and here we're thinking of those outside the church. Don't don't just speak evil of people outside the church. Again, this doesn't mean we can't stand up for truth, uh, that we can't have good debates and arguments um, and, and point people to scripture. Uh, That's not what Paul's saying. I mean, elsewhere with the false teachers that he's speaking to Titus, he says, rebuke them. Get them out of the church, right? Um, And so that's not what he means here. But he means don't, don't gossip about them. Don't slander. Don't sort of just run their name through the mud. Be respectful, even of those you disagree with. Not quarreling, meaning be peaceable. Don't be contentious. Don't be just waiting for a fight with people outside the church. Ready to pick a fight. Instead, be gentle and then he says, "Be have perfect, meaning full, courtesy toward all people. Have all the courtesy. Have forbearance, patient self-control toward all people. Um, he says, treat others well. Treat others outside the church well. When we do this, people are going to see the church as a beautiful place uh, where Christ's love is at work. But then you can apply these uh, among uh, ourselves as well, and maybe it gets harder, right? Um, It's how you behave at your friend's house as a kid versus how you behave with your siblings. It gets a little bit harder sometimes. Uh, You're pretty respectful maybe to your friends, but those siblings, man. Um, And so so if you went back through the list of not speaking evil, not gossiping about each other, not hiding your gossip as a prayer request about each other, (laughs) not quarreling or looking to pick a fight with each other, being gentle and perfect courtesy toward one another. And then verse 14, if you jump ahead. He says, let our people learn to devote themselves to good works so as to help in cases of urgent need and not to be unfruitful. We help those in need within the church. And uh, you're not allowed to fill out the spiritual gift survey and say, well, I didn't get service as my spiritual gift, and so I don't need to serve others. Um, That's actually a calling for all of us. And so I would encourage you as." As uh, we finish our Titus series, look, read back through Titus, um, and and maybe circle or make note of your blind spots, um, areas where you know when he says be gentle, maybe you nod along with that because God has really been working in you and you've been gentle. But maybe he says don't quarrel, don't pick fights, and you circle it because you're like, you know what, I've been picking fights, I've been looking for them. So I encourage you to go back through Titus, circle your blind spots, and, and pray for his work in your life. Be devoted to good works is what God's teaching us this morning. He has reminded them to be uh, devoted in this way, but, but how, right? As Titus is receiving this teaching to pass on to his leaders, to his people, he might wonder how. Is this just one more list of things to fail at? Do I have to just add gentleness to my list of failures? What is Titus to teach that's actually going to bring this about in the lives of God's people? How is he going to convince them to love outsiders that aren't like them? How is he going to teach them to give towards people's needs? How is he going to teach them to forego gossip when it tastes so sweet on the tongue? How is he going to convince them of this? Verse 3 starts to give the answer. If you look with me in verse 3, he says, For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, Led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. How do we love outsiders that don't know Jesus yet? Because we were once the same way. Because we were once foolish and disobedient. We were led astray, we were a slave to various passions and pleasures. You know, we thought at the time that we were doing exactly what we wanted to do, exactly when we wanted to do it. But we were actually ruled by pleasures. We were ruled by enslaving passions that don't care about our good, that want to see us destroyed, actually. And we were enslaved to these things. We hated other people. Gossip came easy because... Life was just about getting ahead and being better than the next person. And so we hated others. They hated us. And we passed our days in this way of futility. How do we love others? Because we were the same way. Why would we slander others when we were in the same condition? You know what it's like to be enslaved to desires and passions, but you also know what it's like to be pulled out of them. You know what it's like for Jesus to kick down the door and come in and scoop you up out of that prison cell. And so verses 4 through 8 become this proclamation of the gospel that Paul wants Titus to teach again and again. If you were going to memorize something in Titus, I would encourage you, uh, verses 4 through 7 especially, uh, and then in chapter 2, 11 through 15 is also awesome. But... Chapter 3, verse 4. Let's see what happens. You were once this way. Verse 4, but when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, He saved us. In other words, you know what it's like to be enslaved, but you also know what it's like to be rescued. This harkens back to chapter 2, verse 11, where He says, For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people. In other words, Jesus' coming was an event, it is the event. Uh, Of all of history, that God would come in the flesh, that he would humble himself, the great king of all the universe would humble himself as a baby, that he would grow in his knowledge of the word and his love of his father, and he would be obedient to his father to the point of death on a cross. When he did that, that means that God's goodness and loving kindness appeared on the scene to save his people. His people who were trapped, He came to set free. And so He saved us, verse 5. Not because of works done by us in righteousness. Right? He didn't save us because we were smart enough. He didn't save us because we did just enough good works to kind of get in the ballpark, right? In fact, the, the Bible says that even our good works are like filthy rags because they're just tainted with wrong motives, people-pleasing, Even our good works, without Jesus, we don't do for his glory. And so our good works don't save us. And so on what basis does he save us? He says, not by our righteousness, but according to his own mercy. According to his own mercy, his goodness, his loving kindness, his covenant love for his people. God saved you because he wanted to save you, because he loves you. He chose you before the foundation of the world. And he sent his son to die for you if you would only put your trust in him. We're saved not by works, but by grace alone. By the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior. In other words, there's life change that happens. It's not just an assent to theological truths that Jesus came and He died, and I believe it. But it's an entire heart change uh, that, that a heart of stone would it, turn to flesh and start beating. That a that a body that was once dead would come back to life. That's the image of what happens to a Christian when they're regenerated and restored by the Holy Spirit, as the Holy Spirit is poured out on us richly. I I had the gift of being a part of uh, a few baptisms at the All Church Retreat, which is always my highlight of that retreat, Um, and to see these students go down into the water and and, and come back out. uh, Just a visual picture of what it means for the Holy Spirit to be poured upon us, to cleanse us of our sins, and, and to lead us to eternal life. Verse 7, so that being justified by his grace, being justified, being set right before God, like a judge declaring us righteous. Jesus became sin, even though he knew no sin, so that we might become the righteousness of God. He swapped places with us, so that when God looks at us, he doesn't uh, see a sinner stained by grace. uh, uh, Yeah stained by grace. Uh, he doesn't uh, see sin overwhelming us, but he actually sees Jesus himself. He, he, he sees Jesus' perfect, spotless record, and he treats us as sons and daughters of the living God so that we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Sons and daughters, heirs of eternal life. Um, you know, we, we all inherit different things. Uh, in our house, the joke is that... Uh, Doug has a piano that Amy's gunning for, right? Um, and so this is, a, this is actually a record, an audio record, that Amy is heir to that piano, right? Um, but, but we are heirs of eternal life. Jesus says, Fear not, little flock. It's the Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom, it's yours. Uh, when, when you become a believer in Jesus, the kingdom is yours. You're, you're heirs of the kingdom. It, it, there's a now and not yet, right? Uh, we're waiting for the day that King Jesus comes riding in and to gather his people up, but we're heirs to it. No one can take it from us because no one can snatch us out of his good and strong hands. So this is the, this is the gospel in a nutshell. And look at verse 8. He says, the saying, in other words, what we were just saying, the saying is trustworthy. And I want you to insist on these things so that those who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. He's saying, Titus, what do I want you to know and to teach and for people to grow in? It's this. I want them to know verses 4 through 7. I want you to insist on these things and teach them over and over and over again in different ways. Point them to other scriptures that teach this. And look at the link. He says, so that they may be careful to devote themselves to good works. In other words, our good works are rooted in the gospel. As, as we grow in our knowledge of the gospel, we also grow in our knowledge of our sin and how helpless we were without Jesus. And we also grow in our love for one another and for those outside the church. And so if you want to love outsiders well, you better love the gospel and cherish it in your heart. Because otherwise you won't be able to love others well. But if you cherish Christ and his gospel, then that will overflow into all your relationships as you love them just as Christ loved the church. Paul is so serious about this that in verses 9 through 11, he, he deals with the false teachers um, that he's kind of been dealing with the whole letter. And he, he lists for them he says the gospel is good and profitable, but what they are teaching is unprofitable and worthless. They, they teach foolish controversies, genealogies, dissensions, quarrels about the law. Earlier in, in, in Titus, he says they're insubordinate. They're empty talkers, deceivers. They're obsessed with Jewish myths and false commandments. And this is the key. They profess to know God, but they actually deny him by their works. In other words, we've been talking about faith and works uh, having that link, they don't have either one. They're not preaching the true gospel, and, and nor are their works in line with the gospel. And so Paul says throughout the letter, in, ver- in chapter 111, he says they must be silenced. In, in, in 1.9, he says rebuke those who contradict uh, the sound teaching. And then here in chapter 3, verse 11, he says have nothing to do with them after you've warned them and, and carried out church discipline upon them. This might seem harsh, but it it shows that God cares for his people. He wants them to know the gospel and to not be burdened by it. He wants them to be adorned with good works and not burdened by them. And so did you know that if you were part of a church that only laid burden upon burden, Sunday in, Sunday out, that that wasn't actually the gospel? If you were at a church that taught you that you had to be good enough for God to love you, that that wasn't the gospel. That wasn't Jesus, for Jesus has, "Come to me all who are heavy-laden. I will give you rest. I'll give you rest for your souls." Did you know that if you talk to a Christian who is obsessed with secret messages in Scripture, uh, or who maybe was obsessed with this idea that there was only one English translation that works, I mean, it was the same English translation Jesus used, um, so that's how we know it's good. Did you know that that's not actually the emphasis of the gospel? If that turned you away from the church or from Christ, know that that, that's not the emphasis of the gospel. Maybe you were burnt out on that person or that church, but not on Christ. Did you know that if you sat under a leader who who taught pretty well, but he was mean, quick-tempered, judgmental, that that wasn't true biblical leadership? Or if you sat under a leader who manipulated others or abused others, you know, the Bible actually doesn't consider that person a pastor or a shepherd. Uh, the Bible actually has a term for that person, and it's a wolf. Wolves devour the sheep. Wolves come to kill and to steal and destroy, but, but Jesus is our good shepherd. He actually lays down his life for the sheep. He calls them by name, and he, and he leads them out to good pastures. He leads them beside still waters, and he restores their soul. Paul cares enough about these to, to rebuke these false teachers to lead people to their true and only shepherd. Paul's longing is that Titus would teach the gospel in season and out. He knew that the good news of Jesus could really be a tree of life for the people of God and that this tree would be well watered and would produce much fruit. And so what is the church to look like? It's, it's a people who regularly drink from the abundance that is the gospel of life, a people who habitually care for each other and for outsiders. I think the church can be that friend's house that you love to go to if Jesus is the host, if Jesus is the one welcoming people in and therefore working through us. Let people see the abundant goodness of the gospel and let them see it overflowing in our lives so that they'll be drawn to the shepherd and overseer of their souls. Let's pray. God, we thank you that you remind us of what's important in your word. You remind us of the gospel of grace, that our boundless sin was met by the boundless grace and goodness of God, that you traded places with us, you died in our place, so that we could have life forever with you. I pray that we and I, I pray that this church would continually grow in their knowledge of the gospel and that this would accord with godliness, that they would adorn good works in all areas of life, that even their speech and their words would be seasoned with salt, so that people would be drawn to Jesus, the shepherd and overseer of their souls. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, as we. Um,